We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Perpetual Chess. So we've got a great guest this week, and I will introduce him in a minute. But first, I wanted to say thanks to those who donated. I'm really gratified to have a few people uh, make donations to the podcast, and we're off to a great start. I'm going to try not to turn this podcast into like a PBS infomercial. Uh, so this generally won't be a big topic of conversation, but just a one-time thank you, uh, and now onward and upward. So our guest this week is a very known, very well-known chess coach here in the United States. So I think uh, those of you who are in the U.S. will know Coach Jay Stallings well. Those of you outside of the U.S. maybe won't have heard of him as much, but I think there's still a lot to learn because uh, Jay has been, as his claim to fame is he's taught more than 35,000 students how to play chess, and he teaches kids of all levels, built quite a little powerhouse over there in Southern California. So without further ado, Jay, thank you for joining us. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's good to be on the show. I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of the show, so being on the show is quite an honor. Oh, thank you. Well, it was only a matter of time. I know we've uh, we've had... 
uh, a few things to work out schedule wise, and your name has come up in the past because I know you taught Kostya, I am Kostya Kovyutsky when he was a young boy, and uh, you've worked with Timur Geriev on some of his projects. So glad to actually hear your voice on here. Yeah, you know, I taught Timur everything he knows about blindfold chess, and you know, okay, exactly. maybe, maybe that's not quite true, but. But yeah, uh, Timor and I are uh, are friends, and I was fortunate enough to to be involved with his record setting event in, in Vegas last December as well. Yeah, that that was something else. Okay, so Jay, let's get into your your story a little bit. Um, I know that you played chess growing up, but I mainly want to get into your chess teaching background to start out. Uh, so, okay. how long have you been teaching chess out there in Southern California? Um, well, in January is going to make uh, twenty four years. So I uh, actually started. In January 94, um, the same week of the big earthquake here in Northridge. And uh, and so, yeah, it actually cut down my students a little bit. But um, it's easy to remember that way, that it was the same time as the earthquake. And my wife had said while we were on a walk, she said that uh, a lot of kids are, or parents are going to want their kids to learn how to play chess with this movie, Searching for Bobby Fischer, coming out. And and you were a chess player growing up and you love coaching soccer. So what do you think? And so I started doing it part time in January 94. And by the middle of the year, I quit my corporate job and um, started doing the, the chess as much as I could. And and at first, I, I was a substitute teacher during the day for a couple years until the business got strong enough that I could do it full time. Um, and by like March of 96. Nice. Yeah. And you mentioned in your ebook, which uh, we'll talk about how to get your ebook about how to teach kids how to play chess, which talks about your background a little bit. You you hated your corporate job. So chess was a welcome diversion. Yeah, it was it was tough because, um, you know, I thought that I was going to love the job. Um, my degree is international business and I, and I um, was traveling to Latin America and doing seminars in Spanish down there. And then um, it was just too much travel and I was away from my family and, and, uh, so, and I was driving through traffic, LA traffic and that kind of stuff. So when, once I stumbled onto the chess world, I said, Hey, this is, this is for me, but it's funny. I look back now and, and, uh, the coach I was in and the coach I am now are, are two different people. Right. Yeah. And back then, you know, 1994, I feel like there were a lot fewer chess teachers. So it w- it was a bit of a leap of faith on your part. Um, yeah, we we always said that we made it up. Um, right. We made up this this profession, um, you know, for ourselves. I mean, I know other people were definitely doing it out there, but we didn't know much about them. Um, and so everything we were doing, we were kind of writing the book as as we went. My wife and I trying to to figure out how to do this chess business. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that self- selfishly I'm excited to have you on because I sometimes even now feel that way, even though I have a network of friends who help me out. Um, there's just there's you know there's no one to to tell you how to do everything so um i'm definitely definitely eager to hear about your experiences and how your your business took shape um so um so once you started you would do a few nighttime classes and then when did you start to feel like okay uh this you know this business is viable well it was um i mean viable was when it started to cover its cost and um, and to give us enough money to barely survive and I mean barely survive and it was uh, you know one of those uh, labor of love and um, we just had to stick with it um, I had got a lot of of students early on that I still have that are that are strong supporters 
still to this day that um, from the beginning they understood our um, my passion, I guess, and dedication to it. And so by March of 96, we switched it from being a for-profit to being a non-profit, uh, 501c3, and started uh, getting donations and grants and having fundraising events and different things like that. And and so that enabled us to earn a little bit more, enough to, to pay the bills. Um, you know, once again, just living, you know, in a in a rented townhouse, uh, driving one car between the two of us, you know, that kind of thing. And and a, a dinner out was, uh, you know, once every couple of weeks at a fast food place if we were um, rolling in the dough that at that time. So you know, it, it it was a modest beginnings for sure and and um, had to just stick with it and, and, and uh, try to improve every week. And you already had at least one kid at that point, right? Right. Um, actually, Michelle was pregnant uh, with Jackson when the, the earthquake hit. And so he was born um, in May and I quit my day job in uh, June. And uh, and so Jackson grew up with uh, chest just all around him. Uh, Ryan, our older one, um, he saw me, you know, uh, he went to college with us and, and, uh, so he was nine and a half years older than Jackson. So, um, so that's, uh, the, the two boys though, both, uh, got to travel to nationals and things like that. Nice. Well, yeah, that's kind of scary just to think about trying to make a go of it with, uh, those, those mouths to feed, um, with a business that, you know, not, not many people considered a business at the time. So how, with your, with your nonprofit, with your, um, 5013C, is that right? 501C3, C3, yeah. I was guaranteed to reverse the letters. Um, <laughs> with with your 501C3, uh, so how was it structured? Like, So did you just, you got the money and then did you charge for what you provided on top of that? Or did you just get them, like have the funding from the donors and then provide your services free? The, um, the idea that we decided to go with was to, uh, charge the people that were going to take the class. And I mean, that's basic marketing, right? If you don't charge somebody, then they don't see any value in it. So we right. charge them in it um, for the product, but we are able to offer it a lower price because we're also out there getting grants and donations, um, not only from businesses, but from individuals. And, and um, you know, I, I still remember some of those first donations of, of people, you know, donating you know, a $300 or something. And it, it felt like it changed my life at that time. And, you know, with a budding program, um, when people come up and help it, that means a lot. I, I stood up at a uh, team tournament in Southern California and just made a plea and said, Hey, we were, um, you know, we run this nonprofit. We just started it and we're looking for any help we can get. And a complete stranger walked up to me and handed me 20 bucks. And, huh. and to me, that was just like, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to stick with this, you know, because this guy and put this money in here, not, not knowing me from from Adam, and and I said, okay, we're we're going to give this a, a a go. Nice. And did did you pay yourself a salary? Uh, or yeah, how- I tried. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, um, so I was uh, I was salaried, and and um, I think that the first probably six or seven years of it, I did not get my salary. I was always the last person to get paid. Um, so, you know, I would get like, um, the first year, I think I got like 50% of it and Michelle was waiting tables and, and stuff to, uh, to make it work. And then, um, 75% and then, um, and then eventually she was, um, 
you know, needed to help me out. And she, you know, stopped doing the waiting tables thing and, and just became my full-time helper. Uh, never a paid employee. She's uh, always been my best employee, but never paid. And, um, and so then eventually we got to that point, um, you know, 12 years ago or something like that, where I was able to get my salary and, um, start get, get some benefits and things like that. Well, okay. And you mentioned that you were the last one to be paid. So did you have other people working for you already at that point or yeah, right from the start? Um, because, uh, to go into the schools, we went into, uh, three or four schools a day. And so by doing that, I had to split up and send the coaches to different directions. So I hired some guys who were, um, in a, a local college here and, um, you know, train them a little bit, you know, not realizing actually what, uh, what that training should entail at that time. Um, thinking I did, but that, that was a long time ago. And, and so, um, I was very fortunate. The guys at the beginning were, were good. Um, they were dedicated and, and we did a nice job in the schools and grew the program, but they were out there earning, you know, more money than I paid them, uh, in order to help cover the cost of the business. Okay. And in terms of um, establishing the nonprofit, did you also consider just being sort of like a, a you know, private enterprise? Like what, what, what led you we to started, the decision? Yeah, we started as a, a private enterprise. I was, um, it was chess for kids um, back in 94 when we started. And, and, uh, and then in 96, we switched to the California Youth Chess League. And the reason was because we could go in the schools. And at that time, the schools didn't allow for-profit organizations to come in and and do any kind of programs at all. So as a nonprofit, we could distribute flyers in the school and we didn't have to pay a facilities fee and different things like that as well. Um, there were some for-profits that started were starting to get in this way or that, but they had to pay to get, to get their flyers distributed and they had to pay uh, large facility fees and in some cases, pay a portion of what they brought in back to the school or get sponsored by the PTA and then pay a portion to the PTA and that kind of stuff. So as a nonprofit, we were able to come in and um, and we had and originally free facilities and things like that. Things have changed. And so we, we do pay um, in some districts for the facilities. And sometimes we even pay a flyer distribution fee or something like that. But um, but for the most part, the schools have been supportive and understand the value of, of chess. Okay. And how many schools is your program in these days? You know, it, we actually had, uh, we grew to 28 at one point. Um, and it was a thousand kids at one time, but it was just too much. My wife realized that I like to know every single kid personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a thousand kids at a time was just a little bit over my limit. So, we have about 700 students now in 24 schools, and instead of growing the program over the years, we've we've worked hard to increase the quality of the program, and um, and so we we offer more to the to the students and to the families as far as uh, more options for classes, more uh, different act, cool activities. Um, you know, we've had so many grandmasters that have come in and and done things with the kids and. Um, and just, you know, we run the state championship every year. So, um, and of course our curriculum has exploded with the, the different things, the chess passports and, uh, all the different ways that the kids can, can learn. 
Yeah, a lot of those materials are awesome. I, I definitely want to talk about them at some point. But first, uh have to quiz you a little bit more about the uh, the origins of your business because uh, I think myself and a lot of other people, like there's other chess teachers listening, uh, but also just generally, I mean, the growth of a business is something that uh, everyone has to to reckon with some w- in one way or another. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in um, in marketing, um, hitting hitting up the customer like six different ways, you know, something like that. So when we go out there to a school, we are sending home a note with the PTA or doing an email blast. We're hanging banners at the school. We're emailing everybody who's been in class before, encouraging them to return, talking about all the new things that we're offering this year. And um, we go to the back to school nights and, and have a booth. Everything, every different way that we can get contact with our potential students is is what we're doing out there to help uh, make them realize all the benefits of of this wonderful game nice and so so yeah that the business side of it if you if you don't have a business background um at least look at and, and copycat what other people are doing and as far as how they're going about uh getting into these programs and and making people aware of them yeah and uh some useful advice that i read in one of the few marketing books that I've read was that it's generally good advice to look outside your field. So, you know, obviously now we're at a point where I think there's people like you and, you know, there's, there's well-known chess teachers doing good things and like sort of laying a groundwork if you network a little bit and ask around. But I mean, there's also like, if you look at whatever other programs are already in place at your school and think about what they do and how they promote their programs and you'll, you'll get some ideas for how to promote your own. And that, that, uh, applies to things outside of school chess programs too, you know, be it uh, library classes or whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, That's true. So were your classes primarily, um, were they all after school or were you able to come in during school hours? Because I know that can be a challenge for... Uh, we've done, we haven't done much of that during the school hours thing. Um, we've uh, we've been fortunate to keep busy enough with the after school enrichment. We go to a couple schools during the day uh, where the school pays us directly, and then uh, private schools where the the school touts that as one of the things that they have at their school, and so the parents go, "Oh, they have a chess program, fantastic!" and and so then they pay us to go during the school day. And of course, um, when we come during the school day, it's less expensive to the school than if we were going to be af- after school in those prime hours, and so they're able to get our coaching at a better rate. Okay. Um, and do you do like, do you do like private lessons on the side or? Yeah, I do a few private lessons. Um, and I do, and we have, you know, we have, uh, evening classes twice a week. So I have six evening classes a week, but then the private lessons, I've really used that as a way for my employees to supplement their income working for me. And so, um, whereas I have, uh, four private, four or five private students right now, I have employees who have uh, 16, 17, right. uh, private students. And, and I keep pushing people that way. And I tell them, you know, I'm also more expensive. Uh, these guys are, uh, a less expensive option and, and, uh, you can go to them and then, you know, when, you know, if you feel like you want to do something a little different for a while, you can come and, and do some lessons with me. And so, um, I like to think I'm a very efficient coach and can spot the weaknesses and, and, um, a player's game pretty easily. I mean, and I'm talking about players who are, you know, under 
1700, that kind of thing. Uh, once my students start to get above 1700, I start to really have to work to, you know, prepare materials for them. And, um, and that's good for my game, but, uh, it's also a, a lot of time that is needed in order to do that. So, yeah, I basically feel the same way. And for listeners who don't know, Jay, you're rated about 2100, right? About, yeah. Okay. Um, and how many people do you have working for you? I have 12, um, (laughs) and they're all part-time. Um, so, um, they're students and I have a couple that, um, it is, um, one of a couple sources of income for them. But, um, like I said, those private, the private things help out for those coaches that work for me from basically like two to four or some days we go to a school and it's 12 to one 30 and then we actually jump in the car, drive to another school that starts at two Oh five and goes till four, you know? So we're trying to be as efficient as we can, as far as, you know, teaching as many schools in, in a single day as possible. Nice. And you mentioned that you try to get to know all the students. So are you like, are you involved with every program where you have a teacher or are some of them just like basically subcontracted to your employees? I, um, there's a couple schools every year that I never make it to. Um, I have to admit, and it's usually because the school that I'm at requires my attention every single week. Um, as far as it, yeah, there might be a huge number of kids. We have a, um, a school with a hundred kids and another one with, with 80. And so schools like that, um, it's rough when I have to, to miss because, you know, I, I like the idea of, um, being able to direct traffic and, and, su- and, and such. And so a school with a hundred kids, we'll have three coaches doing lessons and, and, uh, you know, in a couple different hallways and up on the stage, you know, and, and things while the other kids are in the multi-purpose room, um, playing and working on their books and using the tablets and things like that. Wow. That's so crazy to even imagine a <laughs> hundred kids in a chess club. <laughs> it is, it is. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like to get to know all the kids. So I go to as many schools as possible. And then I, I meet a lot of the, the more involved kids and in our evening activities. Uh, we have free chess club twice a week and, and then we have the, our tournaments once a month, our quad tournaments okay. unrated. Nice. I, and like, I mean, it sounds like you must be insanely busy. Like how, how many hours are you putting in a week? Do you think, uh, during the school year and, um, especially prepping for the school year and, and stuff like that. Um, I work all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, you know, I I am, um, I wake up and, um, I like to go for my walks and listen to your podcast, um, when I can, but I just do these short 20 minute walks. So it takes me like, uh, like I just finished Alyssa Melikina's, um, podcast this morning, um, with uh, a 20 minute walk and, and I still got to, uh, get Danny Gormley. So, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to catch up, but, uh, I do those walks in the morning and then, um, and then I start working and, and, uh, somewhere in there I'll, I'll get showered and get cleaned up. But, um, but I'm working all day and then until, until the night and, and, uh, try to get a little, little bit of break, um, a couple days a week as far as, um, a little time here and a little time there. I have breakfast with my wife every Thursday. And, um, I mean, I, we go out every Thursday and then, other days, um, we just uh, we sit together and have a nice breakfast. So I'm glad I have time for that. Nice. And are the kids out of the house at this point? They are. They are. Our boys are 32 and 23 years old. So, um, so yeah, we had them while we were young, and and we like to think we're still youngish, um, and uh, and still you know keeping active and running around doing a lot of 
fun stuff. Nice. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 40 and my oldest kid is four and I, I feel it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard having kids late in life. They just have so much energy. Um, yeah, that's so. true. But I did, you know, I had a little more freedom when I was younger, I guess. So it's always uh, six in one, half dozen in the other. That's um, true. Uh, so you mentioned that your chess teaching style has has changed a lot uh, in the course of uh, you're doing this for a living. So how how Definitely. has it changed? I was I was um, I was very textbooked. I I think at the beginning. I mean, I always loved a good chess uh, story, but. Um, but I didn't realize that the kids would love the stories as much. And, and, um, and in the end, I think back to when I was a child and, and what captivated me with chess and was the stories that my dad told me of, you know, all the, you know, Capablanca, Alaska and, uh, Morphe, all these, these, uh, great events going on and, and fun stories that came with them. And so, um, so I started to get back to the personal side of chess and besides, the stories about the players of of long time ago. I all my my top students. Um, I'd say basically like my top twenty five students or so. They can name half of the top ten players in the world. So you know they'll they'll know you know everybody knows Magnus, um, and then uh, you know they know the Americans. And, you know um, the the top three for the main you know main part, um, and then. Um, and then they know Aronian because they know I'm a, I'm a huge, um, Aronian fan. And, and so I show a lot of his, his games and, and so they're constantly watching that. And, and some of the, the more exciting players, uh, the kids all like Wei Yi. So, um, you know, and now oh, geez, his world cup games are, have been a lot of fun already. And so, mm-hmm. um, just, uh, showing those, um, and this, we're, we're recording this. The World Cup is uh, is just in the, the second round right now. So, well, you had to survive losing the first game in the World Cup and come back. And and so, in any case, um, I've I've in, uh, put a lot more, infused a lot more of the personal stories and talking to the kids about how these players have the same difficulties they do. They lose a game and then they're focused on that or they make a bad move. And then after that, if they don't regain their composure, then it's just going to get worse and worse. And so they have to be able to bounce back and, and fight through that. Uh, in the later rounds, those players are tired. Um, we see, you know, times, um, in the past and not so much in last couple of years where Magnus had a lot of difficulty in the rounds before a rest day, as far as, you know, because he just pours everything into his games and, um, talk to the kids about when you sit down at the board you know, it's a wonderful, beautiful, fantastic game. Be ready for a, a six-hour battle. You know, hope it's a long, long game so that you can get the most out of it. And and uh, if it's not, and your opponent blunders early, great, fantastic. You know, that's okay too. But um, but always look look forward to a game where you're going to p- get to play an opening, a middle game, and an end game because each part of the game has uh, magic and beauty to it. And there's different things that you're going to think about. And hopefully, uh, every step of the way, you'll be being thinking efficiently and and creatively and using everything that you have and so i i would talk a lot about all the different skills needed to play a solid game of chess and compare that a lot to business and life and and uh you know even you know picking a, a life partner someday you're not going to you know pick the the first you know nice person you see but you're going to you know keep looking and um and and you know try this out and and think about these different things and so 
the kids uh, are, of course, a little embarrassed. The younger ones are like, oh, you know, girlfriend, yuck. But, you know, <laughs> but I try to have fun with it and I get to know my students pretty well. And and the parents trust me with them that I'm, you know, going to, you know, talk about things, but not definitely take over their job as far as all the things that a parent likes to discuss with their child. Right. And uh, what rating are your stronger students like generally? Um, I have um, I have a student. Uh, who's 1800. He's my strongest one. And, um, and then from there, 1600, I have, uh, three years ago, I only had 12 players over a thousand in our program, but the app came out and then our curriculum. And I felt that we really, I started to structure all of the lessons really well at that time because I had to be organized for the app and, and I had to really get a, an order of progression can you sorry learning. to cut you off, but can you tell right. tell the listeners more about the app just so that they they know yeah. uh, what you're referring yes. to? Yes. So when I um, so I created a chess app uh, three years ago called Coach Jay's Chess Academy, and um, and I had to I wanted to aim it at new players because um, that's who needs the most help, and and so it really starts with the simplest of things. But I wanted to break it down and, and have more disciplines, you know, that I call them instead of just uh, a tactics book or a checkmate book or an in-game book. And so the app has the five disciplines of chess. And, and that's something I created, uh, you know, uh, this concept. And so there's checkmate, defense, in-game, strategy, and tactics. And strategy is positional chess. And, and it starts strategy in lesson level one. There's five levels in the app, but level one is castling, um, and, you know, learning, making sure, you know, these kinds of rules and chess and under promotion and stuff. And then by the time you're getting to level five, um, it's, you know, forcing an exchange to improve your pawn structure or, um, you know, we get to, uh, different things like, um, a night outpost and creating a night outpost and, and different stuff like that. So, um, the strategy lessons are something that I've, found a way to make them fun instead of uh, you having to read my system in order to, to learn positional chess. Okay. And, um, and getting back to the stories that you like to tell your students. So you, you talked a bit about how you like to, to weave chess history into your lessons, at least with the, the stronger players. Do you do that with like beginner level classes as well? I do it um, as much as possible. I mean, obviously everybody's going to hear about the Morphe game, um, and I love listening to other coaches, um, who maybe know a little bit more about it. And, and sometimes those coaches like, like me, they'll take some liberties with it, um, because, Hey, why not? And, um, and so I don't know, um, if, if how accurate it was when Maurice said that, um, Maurice Ashley, I'm talking about, of course, uh, when he said that the Duke and the Count put Morphe's back to the opera and, and he loved the opera. So he wanted to make them pay for doing that, you know, so, uh, you know, <laughs> hard so to I believe was, we have that level of detail, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, so, I mean, I think a coach can sometimes take, um, a little creative license. And, um, and so with that, um, I grab onto, onto little bits like that and, and weave those in when I can as well. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, stealing everybody's material in order to, to educate children and, and, 
keep them entertained. So yeah, I was, if I see you putting something out there, Ben, that I like, um, it's gone, man. I yeah, got well, it. I was going to say, I was looking through your materials that you, that you sent me before the interview and you had w- one of the checkmates you mentioned is the in your face checkmate, which like for the listeners is like, uh, you know, queen right in front of a king on the edge of the board supported by something. So like bishop on h6 for white, white queen on g7, black king on g8, you know, any variation of that. And yeah. I've, I've always called that queen and a helper, which I think I was taught by chess in the schools many years ago. But in your face checkmate is way better. So I'm definitely stealing that. <laughs> you know, I, I had to create these and I've created so many different um chess expression terminology but the in your face one was an easy one for me um once i created that uh so many years ago and and the kids love it and they just can describe after a game i'm like, oh how did your game finish oh i you know did an in your face mate or um i did a cheek face mate which is first to in your cheek check you know so the queen takes the f7 pawn the king's on g8 he goes to h8 and then queen takes h7 mate so a cheek face mate um and so the kids can quickly describe things just like we expect kids nowadays to say, oh, yeah, it was a queen's gambit decline, and we can easily know what they're talking about. Well, with these, you know, they can can say, oh, yeah, I did uh, – it was a rook and pawn endgame, and I did front pawn freeze, which oh. is, you know, another thing that I use when I'm teaching the kids uh, about rook and pawn endgames. I have a ton of uh, different patterns uh, named so that the kids can recognize them. And, and I think when you, when you have a name to a pattern, it makes it easier for the, the child to recall it. Right, uh, because recall is is um, is a lot, um, you know, easier if you have an image and a name to go with it. Can you think of any other of out of all the names you've come up with that are like the biggest crowd pleasers? Um, well, I mean, I I use uh, for checkmate patterns. I've got the the bishop back out mate, um, where sometimes your queen's on h six and the king is uh, castled king on g eight. Um, and a pawn on f7, and the bishop goes to h7, and then the king to h8, and the bishop backs out to g6 to guard f7 for what's going to be a cheek face mate. The king discovered check, king g8, queen to h7 check, king to f8, right, and then queen takes f7. And I apologize for those people out there that um, I'm moving a little too fast with that. Um, but uh, but in any case, so that there's the bishop back out mate, um, and then with the rook and and pawn in games are seventh rank skewer. Um, there's give and go. There's check bait where you bait the rook away from um, that's behind your pawn so that you can promote it. And um, and then the buddy system with the two pawns uh, marching up the board to to go up against one pawn to create a pass pawn. And what's the give and, and go? Give and go. You um, your rook is lined up on the fifth rank, and um, and so is their rook. You have a a, C, a pawn maybe on c5 and upon guarding it on b4 and you push your c pawn opening up the discovery they take your rook for free and then you push your pawn to c7 okay that's a pretty exact scenario yeah i mean i mean i mean it's just it's uh the idea is that the discovery and then um and then you push up and and so it could happen with other pieces as well but you push the pawn and give away a piece with the discovery and, and then you can push and they can't come back and get you. So, okay. So yeah, different things like that. Nice. And yeah, just fun. Yeah, it is fun. And I know, uh, I mean that I think I mentioned a little bit in the intro, but 
uh, the the testimonials you get on your Facebook page are are incredible. Like, uh, just I I don't know if these parents are on your payroll or what, but but uh, the way the way they jump in with praise for for your teaching just makes me think like, man, I want to I want to see videos. I want to you know I want to be exposed to this so that I can I can again steal all your material. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. I, I I think we actually have plans to start loading up video as soon as today. So, um, little by little, things are going to start going up and. And um, I actually haven't videoed myself in a lot of lessons, and and uh, and the ones I have done early on, I think I'm a little bit stiff and and um, and pandering to the camera a bit. When um, when usually I'm in a class, I um, I try to be a showman and play off the uh, the crowd, so to speak. But um, but yeah, we'll see how these uh, these videos turn out, and you know, having the camera angle the right way and all that kind of stuff. I I don't know these kinds of things. Right. Okay, well, so uh, zooming in from the the group classes, like in terms of uh, individual advice to people, like what's you know, let's talk about chess improvement. What do you what do you tell people? Like if you're you know, if you're fifteen hundred and you're trying to get you know make the next jump, what what advice do you give your students? Well, um, one thing I do that that I don't see everybody doing is checks, captures, and attacks. Um, I think you know I tell them you have to think efficiently, and so you always. Every time it's your turn to move, you go two moves deep um, at checks, captures, and attacks. So you, you're never surprised by your opponent, and you're also never missing these tactics because you might just uh, you always look for a check first, and always start with a safe check, and then um, go from there to checks that look crazy, a sacrifice. But then before you start looking at captures that you can play against your opponent look at your opponent's checks that can be played because you could capture their queen and then they can mate you. So you have to look at their checks and then you go back and look at the captures you can make and go two moves deep. Um, and then you look at their captures and then you go to two attacks and how can you attack their pieces starting with attacking their queen and then their rooks and then their minors and eventually attacking their pawns. And um, sometimes we find that just going two moves deep, we're going to find stuff that, uh, maybe we're not going to um, be looking for because it looks a little crazy or outlandish or it's a knight moving backwards to attack something, a trap a queen, that kind of thing. So um, that's helped me to avoid blunders in games. And, and also it makes me less nervous. And so I'm not worried that I'm going to blunder because I have a system that, that stops that from happening. But um, in 2009, I had like a revelation and I decided to have a positional chess camp. And so I started to say, I need material for this camp. And I, I started studying, of course, uh, Petrosian books and um, looking through anything, any book that had positional in the title. Um, I was, you know, pawn power and chess and, um, you know, chess, yeah, chess strategy and whatever it was, um, learning about all that kind of stuff. And then I told myself, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice my usual style instead of playing like uh, Mikhail Tall wannabe. I'm going to I'm going to go and I'm going to play good solid chess. Don't make any sacrifice. Um, you know, maybe I can do the pseudo sacrifices if I know that it's going to work. I can do that. But no sacrifices just for play or excite, excitement. I'm going to play good solid chess. Um, and then hopefully I'll I'll lead to these good positions and and my students will learn something. If I lose a game, then it'll be because my opponent outplayed me and will learn something. And so I played in this tournament, and I won it. I I just destroyed everybody, and and um, 
I, I guess that's not true. One game I got really lucky, but um, <laughs> but but uh, by playing positionally, I realized that um, I could use my tactics later on because I would get myself in such a great position. So my need to play tactically was satisfied in almost every single one of the games because I got myself into these great positions by doing that. And so now I tell my students, always play a move that improves your position. Uh, you know, to say, if I push this pawn attacking their queen, does that improve my position? Do I now have a better pawn structure? If I move my knight to attack their rook, um, is my knight more central or is it over on the side? If I misplaced it, uh, don't don't play moves that are are just looking at a single plan that your opponent can easily stop. And right. hope chess. Um, yeah, I mean, we I even saw that. Yeah, I tell kids hope chess is when you play a, a bad move, hoping your opponent will play a worse one. Right. And that's and a good so line. so um, we even saw in Wei Yi's uh, first round lo- loss in the World Cup that he was playing everything on the queen side. And his opponent um, was, you know, following through with just good solid chess. And then after a few moves, Wei Yi's queenside play allowed a, a break in the center, and and then there was a lot of trouble, a lot of pressure, and and suddenly um, he was lost. And I think it was like twenty four moves or something like that um, that he lost to a someone who he outrated by a couple hundred, two hundred fifty points or something. Yeah, but then so. the heroic comeback. So he's he's still alive. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Love that. Yeah. Love that kid. It's, yeah. it's fun to watch. So who's your who's your pick to win the World Cup? Uh, you you know this will come out in four days. So hopefully whoever you pick won't be eliminated by then. But yeah, yeah. My 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 buddy picked uh, Pavel Elyanov um, <laughs> to win right. it all, and, and he didn't even draw a game. So uh, so yeah, um, I'm gonna I have to go with Aronian. I'm an Aronian homer. Um, I'd love to see uh, one of the Americans come through. Um, it's great to see Sam Sevian advance yeah. in the first round. Um, and Len- Lenderman know, just advanced to the the Sweet Thirty Two or whatever you want to call it. Oh, <laughs> the, uh, nice! Yeah, nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't get the update this morning, so that's yeah. great. Um, Thank yeah, God. Lenderman. I uh, I got to know him a little bit in Virginia. Um, he sat at our table at the award ceremony, but uh, he's uh, he's a character, and and yeah, it's great to see see him. Um, um, playing well and and so yeah any of the americans um i'd love to see that my my students are all fans of the americans i i pumped them up a lot uh loved your interview with nakamura he's so well spoken and can speak on such a variety of things and and such and um of course i'd love to 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 uh learn more about uh, wesley so i i did a camp with him with Wesley So a couple years ago, and I even I got to play a game of hand and brain with uh, with Fabiano um, in a London pub um, a <laughs> couple years ago. That was that was quite an experience. Well, what is hand and brain? Uh, hand and brain is um, he was the brain, obviously, <laughs> and and so we sit at the chessboard, and he says pawn, and I move a pawn, and he says knight, I move a knight. So I have to figure out which pawn he's talking about and where he wants to me to move it, and. Um, it's a really great game with um, students and coaches and with higher rated players and lower rated players because um, it's less frustrating for us lower rated players when I'm playing with a grandmaster. Um, if I, I'm not going to feel totally lost if if I get a little guidance. Oh, well, I'm supposed to move a pawn and I can search the board and find the pawn and, and move that. And one thing I learned playing with Fabiano in this just, you know, eight minute experience in my life was that. Grandmasters use their pawns a lot, <laughs> right? And and I would ever I kept you know I I'd, 
I, it was a five minute game. Um, and he had Robert Hess was on the other side advising this young woman that I was playing against. And she was also around 2000. And, and so I'm reaching for a knight and he says pawn and I'm like, okay. And I move, I, Oh, there it is. Yeah. Keep his knight out. And then I'm reaching for a bishop next move pawn. Oh, Hmm. right. Give my king some left. You know, I mean, it's just like, wow, this is, um, I'm learning something there. (laughs) Interesting. But yeah, it's a great game. Hand and brain. We did it with, um, Robert Katende and, um, and Benjamin from the Queen of Cotway fame, they were in town a couple of weeks ago, we had a fundraiser for them. And, and the kids loved, uh, you know, sitting side by side with these famous, famous players. So it was a lot of fun. Excellent. Um, okay. So, uh, what else we need to talk about your, uh, your Kickstarter, Jay. So, Oh yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, I've, um, I've seen in a, across America that that uh, there's a lot of, of chess coaches that are getting out there, um, but there's also a lot of places. When I go to nationals, I talk to families, and they're from these small communities where there's no no coach, and they're asking for guidance. What do we do? Where do we go from here? And so, in teaching chess for um, all these years to you know over thirty five thousand kids, it's got to be like thirty seven or thirty eight by now. Um, but, uh, I've just keep refining my lessons and, you know, problem by problem. Um, if it's too tough, I move it back a little further into the workbook. Um, if it's too easy, I throw an extra pawn on the board, uh, whatever I can do to make things more instructive. And so over 20, almost 24 years of coaching, I've refined my curriculum to a point where I think it can be really helpful and easy to use by people in their homes that um, don't have access to a chess coach. And even those that, that do have a coach, it's a nice supplement, I think. Um, a coach, you, ne- you can never replace a chess coach. Um, there's so much that, that your, a coach can do for a student. But, but having that supplemental material is also good. And, and so in the Kickstarter, we're trying to develop the curriculum further to be able to print it, but not um, print it onesie twosies or, or um, you know, these small batch runs that I'm getting coaches ordering from across America. They order my curriculum for their programs, but, um, print it in a bigger, more professional format layout. Um, make it, you know, look as attractive as possible to the students because, uh, that's, that's important. Um, that needs to look great for them to want to be able to use it. And, um, so we'll, we'll clean that, clean up the curriculum that I have. Uh, I'll work on making sure that the puzzles are as efficient as possible, and and we're going to the next level. I'll I'll um, push up so that we have our our final levels of the chess curriculum ready for the kids, so that they can really go as far as they want in chess. And then we have the chess passport, which is look, looks like a regular passport, but it's fun colors on the inside and and out, and and then there's a bunch of stickers that the kids can earn that go inside it. Anything from a rook roller sticker, uh, king and queen checkmate, lucena position, wow. uh, knight knight versus pawns, and so that you know, and it has a guide on how you can learn knight versus pawn. You know, how does the knight chase against a pawn and and catch up to it, and and you know things like that, and the rooks against pawns, queen against pawn, uh, all these all these kinds of things, and um, we'll expand that out all the way to bishop and knight mate. Uh, but there's a sticker for castling and king and rook checkmate. And then there's, there's stickers for finishing the books 
for playing in a blitz tournament, a bug house tournament. Uh, keep, we'll keep expanding those. Uh, we have coaches helper, junior chess coach and things like that. So there's over 40 stickers right now. And, and our plan, we have, um, a bunch that we have already sketches done on and we're going a lot further. I even asked the, the Magnus people back in uh, November at the world's championship, if we could do stickers for beating Magnus age five, age six and in, in the play Magnus app. And uh, they said, sure, of course. (laughs) So um, good publicity for them at the same time. So uh, so I think that's another sticker that can go in there for the kids as they progress through that app. Okay, and I saw on I know the Kickstarter page as we record is sort of still in beta, but you're finishing it up and it's going to be out around the time of this podcast. Um, So what's what's the goal? What's the like dream goal of the Kickstarter? Our our goal is to. to help popularize uh, chess in America. Um, it's to get more people to be fans of the game, to connect. Um, it's also, um, we're building the, the coaches page. Um, there's a, on there, there's a, a resource link for the coaches, a resource link for parents. And so we want to connect people together, bring the communities together, uh, have the parents find coaches and coaches find students. And, um, but also, all the the people that are feel like they're on the fringe that they can come in they can get comfortable with their game because i think a lot of people may, might choose not to join an organization like us chess because they don't feel like they're ready for it um you know i i like to play tennis but i i haven't joined usta because i i'm not that good right um you know and so you know different things like that but if if we get them comfortable with the game and through my curriculum, I, I also try to talk as much as I can about um, different aspects of the game as well, uh, psychology and tournaments and stuff, um, just little notes here and there. Then hopefully they can, can um, all those different people across America can feel comfortable with chess. Uh, they know the game. They know this weird move called en passant. And they can um, confidently join the ranks of uh, the people that are rated players and and even if they don't um they can get out there and and play this game we all love so much nice Uh, that sounds excellent to me and i've definitely had experience with it is harder for small town chess aficionados to find activities for their kids i mean chess kid is amazing but but you know chess is a i mean we're we're social creatures so ultimately kids need to find other kids if they're going to maintain their interest yeah true so, Jay, I know you've got a lot going on with this Kickstarter, and I noticed that you launched it right after uh, some, I guess, unfor- unfortunate news, at least unfortunate to me, and that the USCF has just named a new executive director, and I know that you were one of the finalists. So could you tell us a little bit about what, what led you to apply for that position? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I was always uh, in the chess world, always involved in U.S. chess. I was a, a player growing up. Before that, my dad was a player, and... He was a Florida State champion back in 1963, and and so then he founded the Orlando Chess Club, and then ran the Houston Chess Club um, for a while as well. And and so I was a player growing up. Um, I was number three in the nation when I was 13 for or for kids under 13 when I was 11. So I was really into it, and um, and so then I did that. Um, stopped when I was. Uh, in hitting high school and did sports and girls and things like that. Hmm. And then 
um, and then came back with um, you know was searching for Bobby Fisher and started playing again and and got into it became a uh, a coach an affiliate an organizer a tournament director um, one of those tournament directors that I can pair with pairing cards um, and and that kind of thing um, became a a state um, rep a state scholastic coordinator uh, president of our state organization and then on uh, the scholastic committee and then on the council and then co-chair of the council so I just kept um, uh, jumping in and doing things with us chess and I and I was uh, seeing you know I thought I could help um, and um, a lot of people encouraged me when the the opening came out and they said hey Jay you should do this and at first I said no but then uh, Michelle and I talked about it and I said okay yeah you know it's gonna be a sacrifice it's going to change our lives and things like that but um i'm going to apply for this job and and i did and and i had a lot of ideas but i think um it just wasn't in the end i i have a ton of respect for the executive board and um and i think that they worked hard to find just the right candidate for what they need right now and and i think they did um and and so i i'm looking forward to seeing uh, I think um, Carol Myers. I think I'm you know, looking forward to seeing how she's going to take U.S. chess from here. And she has a lot of help out there. And I think that we can all stand behind her. Um, a lot of people were saying, oh, Jay, this is a horrible decision. But um, I tell my students uh, the story of the 1851 London tournament. And I say, if I could go back in time, I would go to that tournament because nobody knew what was going to happen. And I asked the kids, I say, if I went and represented our community, uh, we live in Santa Clarita Valley. If I went and represented Santa Clarita in a chess tournament in Los Angeles, um, who would win first? And they would say, oh, you would win, Coach Jay, you would win. (laughs) And, of course, they have no idea of who else is running. And so um, who else is going for it? And there's Grandmaster Malik Kachian. (laughs) Suffice it to say, I wouldn't win. And so so obviously, I'm, I'm so... Um, my heart is, is just overwhelming, overwhelmed with, uh, with just kind of love for all my friends that supported me through this process and stuff. But at the same time, um, we didn't, we don't know who the other candidates were. Um, and obviously, uh, Miss Myers is a very deserving person. So, um, it, it, I think it's the same kind of thing my community sending me off and saying, for sure, you're going to be the best at this. Um, and I think I would have done a great job, but. Um, I think that she's going to do a great, a really great job, and 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 she's the fit for what that board is looking for right now at this time. So yeah, emphasizing fundraising or so yeah. here, which yeah. obviously the chess world could use some more funds. So we get that, but let's let's hear uh, some of your ideas. So I, I know you prepared a lot for the interviews. What 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 was your vision? Yeah, um, I I think that my biggest vision was to um, to be a helper. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I like the idea that um, that U.S. Chess is going to get a, a great sponsor, uh, a great corporate sponsor. I and mean, think of it this way. If, if you're in a high school and prom is next week and a new person transfers to your high school um, and this new person is super nice and super attractive and yet is not going to the prom, it's not because this person's flawed. It's just because they're new on the block and and whoever it is that gets to go to prom with this person would, would be very fortunate. She, she's on pre. 
Yeah, <laughs> she or he, right? Right. So and so, um, ex- well said. And so, um, and so, in any case, I think U.S. Chess is the same way. U.S. Chess is this organization that is new on the block, and oh man, what a catch! If some corporation wants to look good, they should partner with U.S. Chess because there's nothing wrong with U.S. Chess. It's actually the opposite. Um, U.S. Chess is um, an organization that promotes uh, educating the people you know of all ages and helping us with our uh, critical thinking um, and improves everything from test scores in school to fighting off Alzheimer's. And so uh, anybody who partners, you know, any corporation that decides to partner with U.S. Chess, it's going to be such a smart decision on their part, a, a smart move. And so, so that one to me um, is is easy, and I and I think that it's going to be very quick and very soon that we're going to have a corporation, um, a big name that's going to step up and partner with U.S. Chess and um, help provide resources that we need to further the game. Do you have an inside what, info on this, or just uh, a good feeling? No, okay, no, no inside info on it. Um, just I think it's just a no brainer for the organizations out there, the corporations, and then um, for me, I. I wanted to um, really work, and this idea came up in, in a couple different committees I'm on, so I'm, it's not like it's all original ideas on my part, but I but I went with it and developed these ideas, um, and I want to um, get the affiliates better trained uh, to go out there and into the community to attract and uh, retain members, keep them keep them there. Um, our organization. Um, we do a great job of keeping our students. And at a school that I uh, just had yesterday, last semester, from last semester, we had 32 students. And um, like two of them graduated, sixth grade, moving on to seventh grade. And then um, two of them didn't sign up again. And then the other 28 all came back to chess. And so um, I, I have a lot of confidence in my ability to understand how to retain um, you know, customers, students, and and keep them in the fold, and and uh, you know, most of that is simple stuff. It's you know, giving them the the attention they deserve, welcoming them, uh, making them understand what it is that you do, and and that kind of thing. So train train the affiliates uh, to welcome the members and to keep them and grow the organization because the affiliates are the ones that are signing up members, bringing in income to the organization, and they're also running tournaments. And so we also need to make sure that the tournament directors are all very um, comfortable with the rules and know all the different kinds of events they can do. A few years ago, it, I, I, I don't know who started it, but Steve Emmett's made it popular, or the uh, mixed doubles things where right, yeah. you, know, you have that. And I, I think that's helping um, a little bit. And I like team tournaments a lot, but I think most tournament directors know, don't know how to, to run a team tournament or they're not quite sure. And so if we trained everybody on how to run a team tournament, I think that's really good for retention and, um, and activity too. I mean, I played in a team tournament 19 years in a row and then the team tournament left to go to Northern California and I didn't play in a tournament that year. So, um, and, and then I kind of fell away for a little while. So the team tournaments are something that builds a lot of camaraderie and, um, it helps us, helps us to, uh, to realize the social aspects of, of the game of chess. And so, um, for me, 
doing those kinds of things, training everybody, um, informing the people, making sure that the members know all the different things that are available to them and the affiliates know their position and how they can help. Uh, the key members, uh, key members are, are delegates and um, committee members and committee chairs, all those people that do so much work and volunteer work. If we can help them to do what they do even better, then I think that U.S. Chess is just going to grow and grow and grow. So, so that's you know the main idea of my vision and and um, and how we could uh, help grow the game. And and I like the idea of just growing the game, whether it's members or not. If we grow chess in America, then a certain percentage of them are going to join U.S. Chess. So by swelling the ranks of chess players in America. And I think that all of our online services have helped us out a lot. Um, chess.com and ICC and chess 24 and, and such, they've helped to swell the, the ranks of us chess players because people um, are playing chess and they say, Hey, I want to go see if I can uh, win some money. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Cool. Um, so now it's back back to business in Southern California, I guess. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, the uh, the Kickstarter um, was taking a back seat, and so now as soon as um, the word came from the executive board that uh, they had chosen somebody else, then I said, okay, Kickstarter jumps back to the front because uh, we had been planning a lot a lot longer on the Kickstarter than I had been planning on running for uh, the executive director. Okay. Um, and Jay, you were you were kind enough to send me some uh, some some points that you wanted to address. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, make, makes my job easier. So one question <laughs> that you that you had highlighted was who's getting it done in the chess world. So what do you, what do you think? Who's uh, I don't know, like uh, whether on the international or local stage, who's who's been impressing you lately? Well, I, I wanted to address that because um, I just I think that the people that are out there and working on on chess are not getting enough recognition. And also a lot of people don't know who they are, so they don't know who to turn to and, and stuff like that. And so, um, my answer actually is that I wish I knew everybody that was getting it done in the chess world. But my guess is that there's somebody out there, the, the person who's probably getting it done the most we've never heard of, and she's out there listening and she's doing her thing, um, in her community and growing it. And we could all, all probably learn a lot from her, but, um, obviously the movers and shakers out there in the world are, um, in, in the United States, at least start in, um, in St. Louis and New York and places like that. Um, the Singfields were really lucky to have their, their sponsorship and love of, of the game. And, and I listening to the podcast, I know that you haven't been to the St. Louis chess center yet. And it is like Disneyland nice. for chess players. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I've been, uh, four times and I just love it. Um, everything about it is just like heaven, <laughs> um, for a chess player. And so, um, so the sing fields are getting it done and, and their all-star team, of course, or those are, those guys are like the face of chess with Maurice and, and Jen and, and, um, all that team there. And you've got the online presence and, you know, Greg Shahadi does uh, a lot of stuff too, um, with, you know, he's, he, I guess is the Twitter King a lot in a lot of respects and, <laughs> And uh, what, everything he does with the U.S. Chess School has really helped to uh, step U.S. Chess forward. Uh, Mike Klein, the dedication that he shows to his profession of uh, being a chess journalist and stuff. I like um, I like Mike a lot. He's uh, he's genuine and 
and uh, he knows his subject. I think he probably knows more people in chess than anybody in the world. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that because he goes across all the borders and um, from uh, sea to, sh- to shining sea, and and um, and it's his job to know the people, so he does, and and um, and so he's he's really uh, an amazing um, amazing person as far as doing all that. And then you, and then you see him at nationals in the chess kid booth, and you're like, wow, this guy is like one of the most powerful chess people on the planet. And here he is in the chess kid booth. <laughs> and, but he's so, like, he's like the Beatles in the sixties at the chess kid booth. All the little yeah, kids oh, yeah. are the, screaming. Oh, the kids are running up to him and they all want their photo with him and everything like that. And, and they can't believe it, that it's really him. So, um, so yeah, um, he's big, you know, I mean, but you've got the, the people out there. I mean, the executive board, um, they're getting it done. Um, you know, I, Despite Alan, their their poor yeah, choice I mean, for <laughs> for executive director, yeah, that's funny. But the uh, but like Alan Priest um, really turned things around um, with you know Chuck Unruh, those guys working together uh, to change you know help us out financially and stuff, and and the whole board worked together to fix um, a lot of our situation. U.S. Chess was in the red, and they they worked super hard to to change those things. They changed um, with Gene Hoffman. They were able to, you know, get some work done on the website, make that uh, less clunky, and it's moving forward with a bigger budget than ever. And then um, they also, you know, changed the logo and the look. Um, a lot of policies and procedures, they've tried to make sure that those are are going nice and smooth. And so um, so the executive board, um, those are, they're definitely getting it done. And, and all those people that are committee chairs, um, you know, you'll see, you know, Ryan Velez, you know, and, and such out there, Beatrice Marinello, um, you know, Beatrice is across the borders, you know, she's doing stuff in the U S um, and she's doing stuff um, internationally with FIDE. So uh, we, you know, we see that happening. And, and then, you know, Carol Jarecki, of course, she's training all these, these people to um, run tournaments um, in, in America and abroad as well. You know, you know, Frank Guadalupe and Chris Bird and, and those kind of guys that are gaining all those skills, John Haskell, Glenn Panner. Um, I'm talking about people that are organizers, but they go beyond their states, uh, move into different areas. Dwayne Barber, um, of course, his you know, Barber tournament of K-8 champions and stuff and everything he's uh, done with the Denker and, and such. And he's like an international ambassador, too. So um, I'm just saying these names off the top of my head. So I you know, I, I'm leaving all my friends out, yeah. uh, you know, Martha Underwood and, and stuff that help, are always helping at, at all these tournaments um, and having ideas, not just just uh, working stiffs, but having ideas to move things forward. And and, um, and they have great hearts, people that that really want to to change the game. So there's a lot of a lot of fantastic um, people out there that are doing great things. I mean, the, the um, chess league, the pro chess league is great. Um, I know that Steve Abrams and Brian Tillis, those guys, um, have pushed a lot, um, the publicity with that, um, Costa Kavutsky, who you, you had on, of course, is great. And a lot of, a lot of great ambassadors for the game and, and seeing that you have a lot of those guys on is, is pretty cool too. Um, so I, I've, uh, really enjoyed all those podcasts. Thanks. Yeah. And there's so many more, uh, great personalities that we can still get on, um, I uh, I feel like the one thing that, you know, I feel like chess is kind of clicking on all cylinders with the possible exception of FIDE. <laughs> yeah. 
Right yeah, it's you know it's funny because FIDE is um, is this organization that that can be looked at one of two ways. Um, it's above U.S. chess, um, and in that sense that you know we're national and they're global, um, and yet um, they have the, some corruption issues with um, Kurzan Emotionov that you know having questionable. Um, motives i don't you know here right. and there um you know i don't know enough about it to really to comment on it i don't i don't know uh you know curse on myself and um but i just from what i hear uh sometimes he says this and sometimes he says that and um and there's some difficulties at the top with the the power struggles but so that's um so the yeah, fide's fide's interesting in that it's above and yet it's it also struggles a lot. Um, and I, right now they're going having some financial issues and, um, and so those are definitely concerns for all of us in the United States that are looking up to FIDE in a lot of different ways. I mean, I'm a, I became a FIDE trainer this last year and, um, uh, thanks to Beatrice Marinella holding a, a thing at the Marshall chess club. And so, um, I was really proud of that. I, and I continue to be proud of that, but, um, but at the same time, Wearing wearing my FIDE pin in the U.S. chess meetings in Norfolk felt a little bit funny as people are criticizing FIDE, uh, you know, for um, this, you know, problem or that problem. So, yeah, well, I mean, we've got so many like so many positive forces going on right now that hopefully if if that big domino can fall into place, I really think, uh, you know, chess can 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 grow a lot more. I mean, and it's already on. I good agree. Track. Uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, so a couple more topics, Jay. Uh, you mentioned um, Sean's Fund. Tell me about Sean's Fund. Yeah, I think a lot of communities have something like Sean's Fund, but um, but we're fortunate to have um, Sean's Fund. And uh, Sean Reeder was a student of mine in 2005. He was diagnosed with leukemia on April 1st. And a few days later, we hopped on a plane for uh, Super Nationals. And uh, my team... Um, Sean and um, and then my son Jackson, who was on the same elementary school team, and and one of my coaches who now works for me as a chess coach, Sam Kennedy, and another kid, Chris Todd. They the four of them tied for second at nationals in the in the K6 Open, which was a really huge accomplishment. Um, and, it, and they were led by Sean. He was playing way above his rating level, um, but it, um, a year and a half later, he did succumb to to leukemia and all the complications from that. And he was our top student and his parents said, Hey, let's, you know, let's do something, um, positive moving forward. So Sean's fund is something that uh, not only gives financial aid to kids that want to do chess tournaments and classes and camps, but, um, we take these chess kits to the kids at, um, the children's hospital and city of hope here in Los Angeles. And, um, and also to a couple hospitals around the nation where I know people who are nurses that, um, and we get the chest kits and the chest kits have a nice magnetic chest set in them. Um, one of the jerkies, um, they have, uh, my chest book, fried liver, burning pants with fun chest stories. And then, um, they have pawn keychains and a hat to cover their head and, you know, with the, you know, ball cap, you know, Sean's fun logo and stuff and, you know, chest pencil and a wristband and, and stuff like that in a nice little backpack because a lot of times when you're going from hospital room to hospital room, like Sean was, you're going to need that uh, backpack uh, to carry back and forth. And so 
Uh, we have one of those, and then the, and they get a nice little stuffed animal in there as well. So we have that, and Sean's Fund also sponsors um, the Master Junior Simul, which is a really cool event that Sean loved to play in, in which you have four masters, and each of them has six players on their team, six young, talented juniors, and they go up against the other teams in a, just a two-round swifts, one round before lunch and then one after, and the masters play simultaneously against the six kids on the other team um, in a clock simul, and and then we have a catered lunch, and then we do the afternoon, and um, and then present trophies and medals, and there's photos and gifts for all the participants and things like that, and it brings it's really brought our chess community together in Southern California because we pick the strongest young players from Southern California and we pick the grandmasters and international masters to come play in it. So we've had um, Enrico Sevillano and Malik's there every year on Andronic Monacosian um, and uh, Keaton Kirwa was uh, uh, playing this year and um, we've had Tatev Abrahamian. Timor played with us one year. Nice. Um, and so we've had a lot of of um, great players come in and do the the Sean Reader Master Junior Simul, and now the kids just call it the Sean Reader. Um, the average rating of the kids a couple years ago in our event was 2,080, um, and that was the six kids. That was their average rating playing against these um, 2,500 rated grandmasters. So there's strong young talented players that get invited to this free event that. Um, gives them a, a nice chance to relax with their chess friends in a non-stressful environment. There's no rating points or anything like that. So Sean's Fund does all that, and um, we have a annual fundraising dinner. It's actually in a couple of weeks, the 24th, um, in which we have silent auction and, and different things and have a lot of great prizes, a lot of them chess-related that people can bid on and stuff and, and raise money for that. So, so yeah, thanks for asking about sure, that. Sure, yeah, so we'll, we'll put a link to it. Uh in the show description, Jay, I don't know how you keep all these events and activities straight. My my head is spinning already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, my wife's wonderful. We've been married uh, for a lot of years, and and so uh, Michelle's always there for me to to help me out when I can't figure out all this stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean to develop the curriculum too, um, because I mean there's there's great resources. I mean the the stuff you sent me was incredible. I mean it was. Uh, great diagrams and good like kid friendly presentation and stuff like that but there's you know you don't have to do that so to, to take the time to make something like that is is quite commendable and and the materials look great um, oh good i'm glad you like them so outside of uh the materials that you've created uh what like what are your standby chess resources like do you have book recommendations or a particular lecture on youtube that that struck you um and what what do you tell people to study at home? Um, well, I, I'm a fan of chess history, so I've always um, kind of learned through history and, and do a lot of history, chess history books and, and do the lessons in there myself and, and share those with my students. But um, as far as um, myself, I, I made a big jump with Reassess Your Chess mm-hmm. as far you know, just, oh, wow, there's imbalances and, and right. we should try to get rid of the bad things. Oh, this is a great idea. Uh, love Jeremy Selman. Um uh, Winning Chess Brilliancies by Yasser Sarawan um, is one of my favorite books because it does what my dad always said a book should do. It if you you can learn from it um, if you're new, um, but you can also learn from it if you're a master. And um, I think that game has a, or that book, uh, Winning Chess Brilliancies, has a lot to offer. I I um I think you know the the Silman Endgame book is uh is great. 
uh, I think it's called someone's complete in game course. Yeah, that's a good and one. Then, um, and then, and because that he says, okay, if you're this rating, you should know these end games. If you're if you're fourteen hundred, you should know these. If you're sixteen hundred, you should know these. So. So that's a nice little way because otherwise you might pick up a book and go, what should I study? Am I ready to study this? So I like the way he lays that out. Um, and I, you know, a thousand and one winning sacrifices and combinations, a uh, thousand and one brilliant checkmates. Um, and then, you know, just any tactics books like the tactics time books by um, I think it's Tim Brennan and Anthea Carson. You know, those are good books. And David mcnulty has got your first chess tactics and um so I know I'm giving you way too many books, and I can email you the list later on. But uh, and I, and I with my really advanced students, I have them do um, Ray Cheng's book, Practical Chess Exercises, because um, it could be that the position you have to play a defensive move, or you need to trade pieces, or it's a tactic. It could be a mate. It could be a pawn jettison. You know, and so you get to to learn a lot of different patterns and. And um in that book as well. So yeah, I know Elizabeth Spiegel is a fan of that book too. So you guys oh, okay. have to be two two of the uh, most revered chess teachers in the country. So strong recommendations for pra- oh, well, that's practical nice chess you to, exercises. To put me in her category. She's uh <laughs> she created quite a monster over there with the uh, three eighteen. So yeah, she's a she's legendary. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jay, I think uh, we've hit all of the major topics that I had highlighted. <laughs> is there is there anything else that uh that you want to touch on? Um, yeah, I, I did want to say to people out there to um, enjoy the game. Um, you know, don't let chess stress you out uh, too much. It's definitely a game that um, when you sit down and you play a game, um, at the end of it, you know, your opponent, um, I, I run into people that I played them 10 years ago, and I can't remember who won the game, but I can remember if the guy was a jerk or not, you know, right. or a nice person. So, you know, enjoy the game, enjoy every aspect of it. Um you know, try to to play the best move every time you play. Um, you know, every time I sit down, I'm trying to create a brilliancy that uh, you know, will be uh, looked at for many years to come. But um, you know, it's, I try. I'm trying now to get chess experiences all around the world and travel as much as I can to them. I, I, thanks to your podcast, um, now Reykjavik is on on the radar. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, you've had uh, at least two people. <laughs> say that that was her favorite tournament and i think it's it could be three or four yeah I think um, so, too. so so i'm definitely um you know looking forward to that but um but yeah um love the game enjoy the game spread the game uh and uh and never let it discourage you if you if you're ever at a national event or something and uh you have any questions you're feeling like you're on the outside looking in um make sure you ask somebody um and tell them that i'm if i'm there come up to me just you know, walk right up, even if I'm in the middle of something and stand there and I'll and I'll turn and and uh, and we'll talk and become friends. So um, I hope that everybody can, you know, become better people, even better thinkers, more creative, always cognizant of what the other people are thinking by playing um, playing our game. Yeah. And for so. those uh, listening, Jay is really good on on the benefits of chess. So if you check out his his stuff online, uh He's he's really good at hitting why it's a why it's um, a noble pursuit both for you know the casual for for kids in school and you know for the the hardcore fans like us. Um, and Jay, I think you've been a great guest because last week I know you you said you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but last week we had GM Danny Gormley on, who's um, an amazing player, um, and I really enjoyed his interview. But I think some people found it a bit 
a bit sobering um, because he's he's focused mainly on the playing, and uh, that can be tough if you're not one of the world's tippy tippy top. He's you know he's merely a grandmaster, which can make life hard. <laughs> um, but you you've got sort of the the other end of the spectrum where you've you've made your livelihood from chess, but it's really focused on um, on. Uh, reaching out to as touching as many people as possible, and it, it's uh, quite inspiring. Well, thanks. I appreciate that, and and um, and you know, I'm already looking forward to seeing to to listening to Danny's thing because I'm a chess fan. So, um, no matter what podcast you seem to to have, when whoever you interview, I'm I'm always right there with you, Ben. And I appreciate you uh, you doing this, and I want everybody out there to to jump online and support Ben because. Um, I, I certainly don't want to see this go away. Oh yeah, it's not it's not in danger of going uh going away anytime <laughs> soon, barring some sort of crazy family circumstance. But yeah, but uh, right. support is definitely appreciated. So thanks for that. Um, so Jay, uh, what is uh, we'll definitely link to your Kickstarter and to Sean's fund. But if people just want to drop you a line, where where should they do that? Yeah, um, they can go through the Coach Jay's Chess Academy website, um, and and click on contact us or. Uh, just coach J at coach J's chess academy.com. Sorry, that's so long, but, um, but it's, it should, should be pretty easy to remember. And, um, so they can just email me there and, and, uh, I'll send back resources and different things like that to help them get their club started and, and that kind of stuff as well. So if they're looking for any kind of advice on coaching or starting a club or running a tournament, um, that kind of thing, then, um, hit me up. Excellent. All right. I'm sure that people will. All right. Well, thank you, Jay. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.